can you believe that we are at the end of Colossians? It's crazy, right? Didn't we just start the study? I don't know if it's the older you get, the faster time goes. Is that true? Yes, it is. So that means I'm old. Yes. I'm at that over the age hill. I'm almost an empty nester, which is so crazy because Hannah will be graduating um, high school next year. And so, you know, when you're a senior, that's the, what's the question that everyone asks? Where are you going to go to college, right? That's the question that's coming up a lot, which is crazy because we have a lot of friends that have been going through that over the past year. We've been praying alongside friends that their kids have been applying to colleges, um, the last thing that's been happening is we've been getting the acceptance letters that come in, and they're finding out there's different schools that have accepted them. And now it's time to make a decision. Where are they going to go? What school are they going to go to? And it's exciting. But what I love is when they finally decide that the school that they're going to go to um, is you get to start seeing on, like, social media, they start posting all their swag, all the gear of the school that they chose that they're going to go to. And then after that, then it's time to ship them off to school, Right? They go off to school, and, and some of these girls, these dorm rooms, it's pretty crazy what they do. I don't know if you guys have seen any of that, but, I mean, these dorm rooms are nicer than some of their rooms at home. My dorm room was not like that, but they fix up all their dorm rooms. They go shopping, and the end of the weekend always culminates with a picture of their child with their new roommate in their room with their desk and their cute little bed, and then you have the parents that they do like this little family photo with their kids that they're, you know, the last family photo. And then there's tears as they drive off, right? That's how it ends. Well, for us, our son, it was a little bit different. See, he's at the Air Force Academy. He had the same thing where he had to apply to go to school. We anticipated the acceptance letter and that came in and we were excited. We even did all the photo shoot with his swag that he had on, all of his Air Force gear. But when it came time to start shopping for school, um, it wasn't like that. You see, they gave him a list of what he could pack in his one bag, his backpack, and this is what they told him to pack. Driver's license, glasses or retainer if needed, toothbrush, toothpaste, dental floss, deodorant, shampoo, soap, razor, athletic shoes, military boots, eight plain V-neck shirts, which we had to write his military number and his name in, 12 white cotton briefs, the only book that he was allowed to bring was of a religious nature, so he was able to take a Bible. And last, but certainly not least, was stationery and stamps, right? Little did we know that that was going to be the most important thing in his backpack when we were getting him ready. The other thing that was different is we didn't get to go shopping for room decor. We didn't even know who his roommate was going to be. We weren't allowed to go into his room. They said, no, what's going to happen is you need to take any family photos that you want to do before entering the base. Because once you get on, he's, they're going to give you a specific time and a specific place that you're going to drop him off. So we pulled up that morning. He got out of the car. He gave us a blow of a kiss goodbye. And we watched him walk up some stairs where some upperclassmen at the United States Air Force Academy greeted him in a not-so-friendly way. And then we drove off. Yeah, it was a little hard. And for eight weeks, we weren't allowed to talk to him. No phone, no nothing, no pictures of how he was doing, um, no new roommates, didn't know any of that. The only way that we could know it was through those letters. And this is when my love affair started with my mailman. And I will say that I did follow him around. Um, there was one time that he showed up, and I gave him a hug, and I explained to him the significance of the letters that he was carrying back and forth. Um, it was great. We're still friends to this day. We wave at each other and talk. 
But I did. I wrote Cameron every single day. I would write him, and I would tell him jokes, and I would encourage him. But I always ended my letters telling him what was happening at home and tell him what everyone was doing here. His letters were harder to read. Um, he struggled. It was hard. It was hard to be away from home. He was sad. He was lonely. He was homesick. He was exhausted. He wanted to quit. And sometimes it had to be a few days before I got the next letter to see if he was okay. But then his letters, some of them he started mentioning some friends. And this encouraged me as a mom, right, to hear some of the stories of what was going on. He had one friend um, by the name of Vutai, which was from Kosovo. And I love to hear stories about him. But my favorite um, friend that he had that he would tell stories about was McNulty. Total military name, right? McNulty. Sam, good old Sam. Sam, um, during basic training, uh, accidentally called one of the female cadre, yes, sir. Yeah, didn't go over very well. Cameron told the story of how she said, do I look like a sir to you? And he said, well, 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 honestly, I don't know. And he said that then at that moment, she made all of them get on the ground, and they had to do push-ups for about 45 minutes saying, you're a ma'am, not a sir, ma'am. You're a ma'am, not a sir, ma'am. You're a ma'am, not a sir, ma'am. So it was these stories that I love to hear. It warmed my heart. It made me happy, right, to know that he had a group of people that was coming alongside him, that he was laughing with. It was these people that were encouraging him, encouraging him not to give up, not to quit. When I couldn't be there and I couldn't be that person to do that for him. And these friends that he made in this first six weeks are some of his best friends to this day. As a mom, it was very, very significant to me. And when we start studying this passage that we've had the last few weeks where Paul is mentioning these names, these aren't just names. These are significant people that came alongside Paul in a difficult time to support him and to encourage him. Paul needed them, and they were a great comfort to him. So as we come to the end of Paul's letter, he mentions these names. And Carlin, she started us off with some of them. She talked about Paul's pals, and she mentioned um, five of Paul's pals. And today, I get the privilege to introduce you to three more. Proverbs 27:17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and so does a man sharpen the countenance of a friend. So if you all could open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 14 today. And I get the honor and privilege to introduce you to or reacquaint you to Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. So Colossians 4, starting in verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So we can tell in our passage that Paul talks the most about Epaphras, right? Well, it's logical because that's what this, how this letter started, right? Remember, Epaphras was saved um, possibly in um, Ephesus. And when he was saved, he went back to his hometown. And that's when he started the Colossian church. So he started the church. There were some false teachers that came into the church. And this is when he goes back to Rome to talk to Paul, and he needs Paul's help because he sees that, you know, they might be pulling away from some of these false um, philosophies, and he doesn't want that. So Paul then writes the letter to the Colossians, and that's what we've been studying this whole year. But if you look back at Colossians 1.7, you don't have to turn there, but at the very, very beginning of this book, uh, Paul calls Epaphras a beloved fellow servant. 
And then again, in our verse today, in verse 12, you see that he calls him a servant of Christ Jesus. This word servant is a, is a slave. It's doulos. This word means it's one who willingly commits himself to serve a master he loves, disregarding their own interests and does whatever their master calls them to do. And that's exactly what Epaphras did. He willingly gave up his life to serve his brothers and sisters and serve Christ. Paul's reminding the Colossians that Epaphras, he's one of you, it says in here. He's one of you and he greets you. He wants to remind them that Epaphras, he's your pastor, he's your teacher, he's one of you and he loves you. And how does Epaphras display his love for those, uh, the, in the Colossians? It says in our passage that he did that by praying for them. Epaphras was a prayer warrior. In verse 12, it says, Epaphras, he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. If you look at that word struggling, if you circle that or highlight it or underline it, that word is agonizomai. That word, the Greek word, it means agony. Um, this word is used often in the Bible, and it's used to describe a strenuous effort of an athlete or a soldier fighting in a battle. This reminded me of my daughter, Hannah. She was a gymnast for many, many years, a competitive gymnast. And to be a gymnast, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that's not really a sport. I can tell you gymnastics is probably one of the hardest sports out there. And my daughter, if she wanted to succeed, she was at gym four to five days a week, five hours a day, struggling in agony, in tears, in sweat, working her tail off. And she had people that came alongside her, her friends that were doing the same. And when it was hard, they would cheer for each other and they'd say, you've got this, you can do it. They came alongside of each other, holding arms, pushing each other to succeed at what they were doing. And there were many times that she didn't want to go, but she was committed to go if that's something that she wanted to do. And that's what this word is. And that's exactly what Epaphras was doing. He was committed. He was committed to struggle in praying. That's how he prayed for them. Paul is saying that Epaphras struggled, agonized in his prayers. How did Paul know, know this? Because it says he bare him witness. Well, Paul was right alongside him. I guarantee it that Paul was right there with him, struggling too. How beautiful is that? We know that Paul was like the biggest prayer warrior in the Bible. He talked about prayer all the time. But now here he is calling Epaphras a, a prayer warrior. I mean, what a great name to have the Apostle Paul call you that. So I put it like this, number one on our outline. If you and I are going to love one another like that, we need to labor in prayers for others. Labor in prayers for others. Do any of you know anyone that prays like that? I have a very dear friend, Sheree Clark, that is one of the biggest prayer warriors I know, and I see a lot of heads like nodding out there. For those of you that know her, when she prays, she brings tears to my eyes. She struggles. The people that she prays for, she loves them, and you can hear it in the way she prays. And ladies, we need to do that. We need to be like that. It's a privilege to come alongside one another and pray for one another. Did you know that at Compass, we have a Compass women's prayer team? Yeah, that's right. We meet once a month. There's once a month that they meet, they have breakfast, they come alongside each other, and they pray for all the ministries that we have in women's Bible study. They get together, they have speakers, they um, read books on prayer together, they break up into groups and they pray together, and then they commit to pray all week long for one another. 
Wendy Disler, she leads that ministry and heads that up. If that's something that you want to come alongside other Christian women and you want to be praying for the things that are happening at our church, what a beautiful ministry to be a part of. How awesome to have Paul write these words about Epaphras. Warren Wearsby said this about Epaphras' life. He said, if Christians prayed as hard as they played, imagine what kind of blessings they would see. So I want us to look at three different ways that Epaphras prayed from our passage. So A, I want us to look at, in verse 12, we need to pray persistently. This is something that Epaphras did. A, pray persistently. In our passage, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, always struggling on behalf in your prayers. This doesn't mean sometimes. It means always. It's not the, I'm going to pray for you, and then you forget about it, and then you see them walking into the room, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to throw up a really quick prayer to them, and I'm going to pray so then I can say, oh, I prayed for you. No, this is, you're always praying for them. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Prayer must be a priority in our lives. But you know, it's one of those things that for those of you that have accountability partners and you talk, what's the number one thing that we struggle with? Prayer. We're always saying, it's, you know, my prayer life, my prayer life could always be better. What are some ways that we can make our prayer life better? One, I want to give you, um, I'm going to give you three ideas. One is get an accountability partner. This is something that my husband recently did in the last three months, and he said that I could share it with all of you. His prayer life was not good. And um, he was going through someone with partners, and they decided, this is what we're going to start doing. We're just going to send an emoji to one another once we've prayed. And they started doing that. And then he was like, oh, my goodness, you can't believe my prayer life right now. He goes, I'm praying all the time. I'm running out of things to pray for. And I'll tell him something that's going on. He's like, that, that's great. I've got something else that I can pray for. And he said, you know what's crazy is the more he started praying and the more passionate he got about praying, it, it was like now there's all these other things he wants to do. He wants to be in God's word more. He wants to read more about prayer. He wants to study more. It's prayer started everything. So get an accountability partner. Hold each other accountable to pray. The second thing is, if you don't want to do that, there's an Echo app. Carlin told us about this Echo app, which has been amazing for me. Because sometimes you get busy and all of a sudden, you, you know, it's 9 o'clock. The next thing you know, it's 11 o'clock. And you've told someone that you're going to be praying for a surgery. Well, put it down on the Echo app. You can put it, put the prayer request that you have down. You can set an alarm. You can set a timer on that. And your phone will beep at you and it'll tell you it's time to pray. If you don't want to do another app because you have too many apps on your phone and that drives you crazy, then just set an alarm on your phone, right? There's different things that we can do so that we can be praying persistently. B is pray passionately. That's something that Epaphras did. He was very passionate in his prayers. We saw the word struggling, that agonizomai. He was agonizing in a prolonged, intense prayer. And we see that Jesus prayed like that, right? Jesus prayed like that in Luke 22, 44, and Luke 22:44 describes how Jesus prayed. It said, "And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground." That's crazy to think about that, right? Here you have Jesus that he's gone and he's performed all these miracles without breaking a sweat. But yet when he's praying, it's saying that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. But it also says in our passage that Paul worked hard for them, not just them, but for those in the, in the cities that were next to him. 
This word worked is the word ponos, which means it's a work that is accompanied by pain. It's a work that comes with a sacrifice. He sacrificed and he agonized and he worked hard in prayer. He prayed an intense spiritual wrestling with God, always laboring, working at it, and agonizing in prayer. So when was the last time that you had a passionate prayer like that for someone? I'm sure we all have people in our life that are going through, if it's a divorce, marital issues, losing a job, maybe you have a dear friend that's struggling with cancer and going through a really, really difficult time, are you passionately on your knees begging God in tears, praying for them? Not just going through the motions, but, but making a huge effort to give it all to God. C, we need to pray purposefully. This is something else that Epaphras did. He didn't just throw up blanket, you know, requests. No, it says that he prayed that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He wanted them mature. He wanted mature Christians he wanted them, um, their faith to be strong. He wanted them that if they were going through something, that they would trust God, that they will, God would get them through it, and it would make them stronger. Do you pray like that for your sisters, for those that are going through struggling times? Not just praying that God will take it away. I mean, obviously, we want that. We want our girlfriend for her husband to get the job. We want the cancer to be treated. We want um, the marriage to be restored. But are we praying that God is going to use whatever circumstance that they're going through, that he's going to mature them, that he's going to grow them through that, and that others may come to saving faith because of what they're going through? That's what Epaphras prayed for. And that's one of the things that I love about our church is that I know our pastors pray like that for us because look at all the areas that they give us to give us opportunities to grow up and be mature Christians. I mean, that's why we're all here, right? We're not here just to sit around tables and fellowship. Stephanie works really, really hard on putting these lessons together for us to grow and for us to learn more about what God wants us to do. We've got summer Bible study. We're not taking the summer off. We're still going to be here, right? Are you signed up for summer Bible study so that we can still grow up together? And then we have the partners program. That's a one-on-one -on -one discipleship program that we can come alongside each other. And we've got CBI across the street. So many things that our pastors put and they do to make sure that we can be mature, solid Christians. That's why number five, our distinctive here at Compass Bible Church, is we have a genuine reliance on prayer. Because we know that there's nothing that this church can do. There's nothing that you or I can do if we're not praying about it. So I ask you, are you persistently, passionately, and purposefully praying for your sisters here in women's Bible study, in your group, for our pastors, for our church plants, for your neighbors? How about, you know, we just had extravaganza. All those people that came to extravaganza and the new faces that came on our campus at Easter. Are you praying for the lost souls around Aliso Viejo and the different people that are coming here that they will be saved? Those are the kind of things that we need to be praying for. May we all be prayer warriors like Epaphras was. Number two, Paul mentions two other people. Um, Paul then goes on in his letter and he says in verse 14, Luke the beloved physician greets you, as does Demas. So we're going to start with Luke. A lot of you um, probably know who Luke was, right? He wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Um, actually, Luke and Acts is one, it's a two-part letter that was written to Theophilus. Um, but it says in our passage that Luke was a physician, which is kind of great for Paul because, you know, Paul kind of had a lot of ailments, right? 
He went through a lot of beatings and persecutions and all this kind of stuff. And so to think that he had Luke, a physician, to be alongside him during all of this time was kind of a benefit. If you had a doctor that could walk around with you um, on your missionary journey, how great is that? So Luke was a doctor by trade, but he was also an author of two books of, our, of the Bible. I'd like for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I don't know if any of you realize this or not. Maybe a lot of you know that, but Luke wasn't actually there. He didn't witness Jesus Christ. He was not an eyewitness, and he talks about that in the first four verses of Luke. And if you look at the first four, four verses of Luke, you'll see that it's actually one sentence in Greek. It's just a bunch of commas. It's because Luke was a brilliant man, and we find that in his writings. His writings in Greek was actually the hardest Greek to determine and to interpret. He was a very brilliant man, and you can tell by um, the words that he used. If you look at verse 3, he said, um, this is why he wrote the book of Luke. It said, it seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So why did he write this account? Why was he an historian and wanted to go through and write about all the things that he had heard about Christ? Well, it tells us that in verse 4. He says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke wanted us to have confidence in the life and the death and the resurrection of the ministry of Christ. Luke's writings spanned over about 60 years. Between Luke and Acts, it covered about 60 years. It started with the birth of John the Baptist, and it ends with the ministry of the apostle Paul in Acts, or all the apostles in Acts. Luke was actually used more to write more of the New Testament in word count than any other author, including Paul. But I told you that he was an eyewitness to the account. So how do we know at what point did he become Paul's companion? Was he just writing all about Paul and the things that Paul did? Or at what point did he become side by side with him? And you can see in Acts chapter 16 and moving on, you don't have to turn there, but starting in Acts 16, something interesting happens. Paul starts changing the pronoun to we went there, we did this, we did that. Luke is saying, I was there. I went where Paul went. I went where Mark went. I was with him. I was by his side. He's only mentioned three times in the Bible, and all three times Luke is mentioned by Paul. The first one is in our passage where he calls him his physician, his beloved physician. And then Philemon 23, Philemon 23 Paul calls him his fellow worker. But turn with me to 2 Timothy 4.11. Super significant. The third and last time that Luke's name is mentioned in the Bible is when um, Paul is in prison, chained in prison. He's writing a letter to Timothy. He's telling him that he's fought the good fight. He's at the end of his life. And he says in 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. At the end of Paul's life, Luke was still by his side, his beloved physician. Luke was not just a historian and a doctor, but he was a loyal faithful, brave, long-term friend, fellow worker, companion to Paul, stood by his side, helped him in his ministry. They probably walked hundreds and hundreds of miles together. Luke submitted his skill, his mind, his time, his life to be utilized to minister to others. He likely gave up a lucrative business that he could have had as being a doctor to walk alongside Paul. 
Like Luke, you and I need to use the gifts that God has given us to number two on our outline. I put it like this, help your church. Luke had skills that were helpful to Paul and ultimately for you and I. Um, I wonder often if Luke understood that this letter that he wrote to Theophilus, how many people it would change. We aren't told that Luke was this great evangelist. Um, It doesn't say anything that he did alongside Paul, that he was... um, leading any big groups or anything like that. But you don't need to be a Paul to fulfill what God has called you to do. The church needs people like Luke who commit to give their skills that God has given them to help. You don't need to be a great evangelist to help in the tech booth or to greet people at the door or to help in kids club or to serve in parking ministry or to do hospitality or to do Awana. No, you need to be a Luke doing what God has made you capable of doing where you are. Luke was an adipat servant of Christ, and that's our number six distinctive, that we have highly committed participants. So I ask you, are you? Are you serving in your church? Because it's not something that we're just asked to do. It's something we're commanded to do. Turn with me to 1 Peter 4. Peter talks about how we should be using the gifts that God has given us to serve. The church needs you, and it's required. Saying you don't have time or you have a busy schedule or it's just not the season of life is not an option. And 1 Peter 4, 7 tells us why. It says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. This means, ladies, we're not going to be here forever. Jesus is coming back, right? He's coming back. And how do you want to be found working for Jesus? Not taking a break from ministry. It says... What should we be doing, therefore, if Jesus is coming back? It says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one, one another without grumbling. But then in verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's good stewards of God's various grace. grace. So the thing is, is if you're going to be one of God's good stewards— then you're supposed to be using the gifts that he's given you. And if you're not using the gifts that he's given you, then you're not a good steward, right? God has given you and I some kind of skill for the body of the Christ, and we need to be using it. Verse 11 says, Whoever speaks as who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And some of you might be saying, I'm tired. You don't know my schedule. You don't know what's going on. But this verse tells us right here, by the strength that God supplies. I can tell you I worked for Awana for many, many years. And it was hard to get there. I was tired. And the thought of putting pajamas on and sitting on the couch and just vegging out and not doing anything was a temptation many, many times. But there was not one time that I didn't come back from Awana and come home with more energy that I had than when I went. And I never, ever said that that was a waste of my time. And for those of you that serve, you know the same thing applies, right? You come back and you feel more out of serving than you did when you went into it. Verse 11 says, whatever it is, whatever it is God has called you to do, God is going to supply us the strength to do it. The bottom of verse 11, um, this is why we do it. It says, we do this in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Ladies, we serve Christ because it glorifies God. And I can tell you at Extravaganza, all the servants that we had at Extravaganza that were out there laboring and painting faces and 
doing all the things that, that we were doing, there were strangers coming onto that campus. Many strangers that are probably here now because of something like extravaganza. And they were watching and going, this is crazy. Why are these people giving up their time and their talent, taking days off work to do this? Why, what is different about them? You guys, you make God look good when you do that. It glorifies God when we serve the body. We encourage everyone here at Compass Bible Church to serve in some capacity. And if those of you that have your outline, if you turn it around on the back, I've listed um, all the ministries right now that on the Compass Bible Church website have listed that they need help in. And I know it's small because there's a lot of needs, but I'm also checking out your eyesight. I see some of you putting your glasses on. Um, you know, if we only needed help in three areas, it would have been big print. But these are the areas that our church needs help in. Kids ministry is at the top. You know, we have something going on in kids men here almost every single day of the week. I think Monday is the only day that kids, that kids ministry doesn't have something going on. Kids ministry, special needs. They need help there. How about Compass Connect? All of you are smiling. Everyone is friendly. I see everyone walking around when you come in here and you're greeting one another and giving hugs to one another. We can smile. We can greet. What a beautiful ministry. It's something that you commit every other week to. You're the face of Compass when new people come onto our campus on the weekend and they're like, oh, we're new here. We don't know where to go. Where do we drop off our kids? What kind of ministries do you have? You're that face that you can welcome them. You can walk them to the classroom. You follow up maybe once a week on connecting them into different ministries. Then there's the parking ministry. Ladies, this is not just for the men. We can rock those little vests too, right? They need help. I've seen our pastors out helping in parking. Get your husbands to help. Hospitality. This is something you can sign up. You can help before, after. You know, cut up donuts. Display them out there. Clean up the dishes after it's done. Tech team. Can we give an applause for our tech team? Look at these guys. And those in the back. We've got many beautiful servants from here that stepped out in faith to go out and to help with our tech team. And they're here seven days a week. Worship team, for those of you that have a music talent and you're not using it here at church, I encourage you to click that button on the website and sign up. They need help. Fix-it ministry. If you, can, you can paint, you can clean. They even go to widows' homes to help. Quilts of ministry, if you have that sewing ability, which I wish so much that I had that I don't, um, join the quilt ministry, photography ministry. Some of the ministries that aren't listed on the website but I want to bring up are those of our edge, the narrow, true north, bridge. You know, Pastor PJ is leaving to go to Texas, and he's taking a lot of his leaders with him. So if this is a ministry that you're not plugged into, but it's something that God is calling you to do, I encourage you to reach out to someone. Be plugged into the church. Help the body of Christ. And for those of you that are serving, and you're like, check, I'm already involved in everything, and I'm doing good. I just want to encourage you that, you know, sometimes God puts you in a ministry that he's preparing you for something else. You know, I was called to teach um, in a children's ministry at one time, and I fought that. It was something that I really didn't want to teach kids. And when I finally was like, okay, God, I will do this, but don't ever ask me to teach adults. <laughs> yeah, don't ever tell God that you don't want to do something. Um, most of us aren't called to quit our jobs, um, to be missionaries, and to move someplace else, although we know a lot of our team here at Compass Bible Church has done that and are leaving to go places. But 
He is calling us to help our church where you're at. So Paul was fortunate to have an Adipat friend and a coworker like Christ and Luke. And um, I just pray that all of you will be that as well. Our last person that I want to look at is Demas. Paul gives us a warning with our last person. Was there anyone in here that when you read Demas, you're like, who is that? And who cares, right? Or you're thinking, why is he including Demas right now? Because I do know who Demas was, but I don't think things ended very well for him. And you're right, things didn't. Um, But here, he's greeting the Colossians with Paul. And he's mentioned again in Philemon 24, where Paul calls him a fellow worker. So he's been working alongside Paul um, for a few years. He had a substantial commitment to Paul in his ministry, but sadly, things don't turn out well. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 4 again. This is where we looked at earlier where Luke is in prison, or Paul is in prison, and he called out Luke saying that Luke was the only one that was left with him. But in 2 Timothy 4, if we look at verse 7, I want you to see how things were ending um, for Paul in his life. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says these words at the end of his life before he's um, killed. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only for me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You do, do your best to come to me soon. So Paul's confident at the end of his life. He's endured to the end and he's finished well. But sadly, in verse 10, not the same for Demas. In verse 10, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, and he's gone on to Thessalonica. That verb, has deserted me, um, it's a very strong um, uh, word, and it's translated in American slang as leaving me in the lurch. It's not just the idea of he just left to go do something else. It's the idea that he was abandoned, he was deserted during a dire situation, and at the most inappropriate time. He bailed at the worst time possible on Paul. So here we have Paul and Demas working alongside one another. Um, One endures and finishes well, and the other one bails on his commitments and leaves. I don't think Demas joined Paul's team with that thought in mind. I don't think it was something that he thought, oh, I'm not going to stick around. I'm just going to be here temporary. But it says that he deserted him. Paul was deserted by his formerly committed friend because he had come to love this world. This is a warning about the potential to fall away, to fall away from our commitments, to fall away from Christ, to fall away from the church. And we must be on our guard to stay committed and to persevere in obedience to Jesus and our church family. And I put it this way, number three on our outline, you and I need to keep your commitments. Keep your commitments. You know, what's sad is you and I probably all have had a Demas in our life. We've had a friend or a family member that has been beside us, has gone to church with us, has maybe sat in your Bible study group. Maybe you've even served with them and they bailed, they left. And I'm not saying that they bailed, that they just went to another church. I'm saying they left the faith. They are, you're looking at posts on social media and you're seeing things that they're doing now that does not represent Christ. And it's sad. It tears our heart apart. We don't know what finally happened to Demas. We don't know the end of his story, if he did repent or not. We don't know. All we know is what God's word says. And I would just like to ask you, how would you like it if God's word said that about you? That you are more in love with the world and you deserted him. 
The Bible makes it clear that we can't lose our salvation, and I'm not saying that that's something that can happen, but the Bible also talks a lot about how there were maybe not ever saved at all to begin with. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And then Jesus warned, of, warned us of this too in the parable in Matthew 13.22. In Matthew 13.22, Jesus said, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Demas reminded me so much of a character in the book Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if any of you have read that. It's actually, I think, the number two best-selling book out there next to the Bible. Um, but in this book, um, it's a story about a man named Christian, and he's on this journey. He's on a journey from the city of destruction, which represents earth, and he's on his way to the celestial city representing heaven. And he meets different characters along the way in this book. Um, Christian becomes very close to a friend named Hopeful, and they are wonderful Christian companions, and they are focused on this journey. They are focused on this path, and they want to get to the celestial city. And they start talking about different people that they've come into encounter with, and one of them is Mr. Temporary. Mr. Temporary was at one time on this same path with them, but all of a sudden they're saying, where did he go? What happened to Mr. Temporary? He's not around here anymore. And Christian asks Hopeful, how does someone like Mr. Temporary become this way? And Hopeful goes on to explain what he observed, how it was that uh, Mr. Temporary could get off this path that he was on. And I'm going to paraphrase what the author John Bunyan said, but these were some of the, the things that happens and how you can get off the path. He says, first, they stop thinking about God, death, and the judgment to come. Then they cast off duties like prayer and sin. Then they shun the company of Christians. After that, they grow cold to public duty, like attending church and reading the Bible. Then they begin to pick holes in the coats of other Christians. Then they begin to associate themselves with carnal, loose men. After this, they begin to play with little sins openly. And then, being hardened, they show themselves as they are, thus being launched again into the gulf of misery. Unless a miracle of grace prevents it, they everlastingly perish in their own deceivings." ouch, right? That's how it happens. That's how they get off that path. They can start on that path, but the cares of the world start pulling them and pulling them into the weeds. So how can we make sure that we don't end up like Demas or Mr. Temporary? Well, I'm going to give us seven things that we can commit to. Seven things that we can commit to to make sure that our walk with Christ stays firm and we stay focused. Number one is commit to maintain a high view of God. Commit to maintain a high view of God. That is our number three distinctive here at Compass. Remember that God, our creator, is the highly exalted, transcendent king of all things. He's not your buddy. He's not your pal upstairs. He is holy, 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 and we need to be thinking of him that way every day, throughout the day, all the time. Number two, commit to quiet time. Number two, commit to quiet time. This is something that we should not be pushing off our time in prayer, like we talked about in the first point. You should be opening up your Bible and reading it and studying it every day. Stephanie gives us, there's no excuse. We have lessons that we can do, that we can um, go day by day, that we can be getting into God's Word. Our daily Bible reading. 
It's not an option that we just don't feel like it. Number three, commit to fellowship. Ladies, it's so important that we come together, that we're not just facing this way, but we're facing face-to-face. And when you, we see on our calendar that we have a fellowship that's coming up in women's Bible study, that's not like an optional event. It's not like, oh, well, it's not Bible study. I'm not going to go. I'm going to use that opportunity to go get my hair done or go do chores or go do something else. We need to be together. We need the fellowship of other Christians. That also means after church, don't run to your car. Go out to the donut table. Enjoy a donut. Come on. Amen, right? Go fellowship around the donut table. Number four, commit to go to church. Live stream is a great option if you don't feel well, but commit to come to church. Be around one another. But I'm not just talking about coming to church on Sundays. I'm talking about coming to women's Bible study. You're here. Great. Check. Talking about coming to summer Bible study. I'm talking about coming to the retreats. How about the spring tea? For those of you that aren't serving right now, got a surefire spot that you can get a ticket at the spring tea, and that's if you sign up to be a hostess and then bring people with you. You don't have to worry about that 9 a.m. click spot and you're going to not get it because some of you aren't going to get it. I'll tell you that. Sign up to be a hostess. So commit to be at church. Number five, commit to avoiding a critical spirit. This is a big one. You know, there's really no reason why we should be saying the things that we say about our Christian sisters. It's not necessary. My husband always said something to the kids whenever they had something negative to say about someone. He would always say, is that helpful? Is that necessary? And if it wasn't, he would say, don't talk about it then. So the same needs to apply for us and our Christian sisters. Number six, commit to say no to sin. We all have the sins that we struggle with, ladies. Can we please work hard at committing to saying no to sin. We're not going to be sinless, but we should be sinning less and less. And last but certainly not least, if you are here today and you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know what? I can kind of feel a little like I'm a Demas or a Mr. Temporary. I have one foot or one eye in the world and one eye focused on Christ. You know, if your eyes did that, You wouldn't be able to see very well, right? So we should have our eyes completely focused on the path that Christ wants us on. And if you're not doing that and you haven't submitted your life to Christ and you're still holding on to the things of the world, I beg you, commit your life to Christ. And if it's something that you want to do or you want to talk to someone about that, that would probably be one of the most beautiful discussion groups that you could have today in women's Bible study, right? Talk to your sisters. No one's going to be critical of you and think, oh, I thought she was a Christian all along. No, they're going to come alongside you. They're going to hug you. They're going to rejoice with you. They're going to wrap their arms around you, and they're going to keep you accountable and walk side by side with you, and I, I guarantee it, it's gonna, it would be absolutely beautiful. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I love how God um, takes our weekend sermons a lot of the times and he partners them with what we've been studying in women's Bible study. For those of you that didn't hear Pastor Bobby this weekend, I encourage you to listen to his sermon from this weekend. It was so beautiful to come and listen to what he had to say and to think that that's what it's about. It's about us coming together as a group, our sisters, right? 
and to spur one another, spur, spur one another on and encourage one another. Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 14, I'm just going to read it for you. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. May you and I be committed to encourage one another to the finish line. That's what I pray that we can all do. I have to say that um, my prayer has been through this time of studying this passage that I would do Epaphras and Luke and Demas justice and who they were as Paul's friends, just like Cameron did with explaining his friendships to us. And we had the privilege and opportunity to actually meet some of these guys over spring break because they came to our home and we got to host them. And I got to see that the letters that Cameron wrote to me was exactly who they were. And they were talking one night about the dropout rate at the Air Force Academy. And they said that they remember during basic training during that time that the commandment and the cadre that was ahead of them said, these people that are next to you are going to be the source for the reason why you stay here and you don't leave. And they said that there's a saying at the academy, and it's a quote that everyone that is there knows. And it says, the reason I came to the academy is because of the opportunities. But the reason I stayed is because of the people and the bonds that I have made. Ladies, may we, may we be an encouragement like that. May we be that bond and the people that hold each other accountable to stay on that road that Christ wants us to stay on. May we be praying like Epaphras did and laboring in prayers for others. And like Luke, that we're helping one another in church. And may none of us be like Demas and we keep our commitments. And at the end of our life, may we all be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you so much for the book of Colossians. Um, I never thought at the end of the book, just reading names was going to be something that was going to hold so special to my heart and to be able to have the privilege and honor to know these men that came alongside Paul and helped him on his journey, God, and I just thank you so much for the sisters in Christ that have come alongside me, um, that have held me accountable, that hold on to me, that pray for me, that work alongside me. God, I just, I pray for this group. May we never take for granted what we have here in this room. God, I pray for our discussion group time today, that it may be rich, that we may be open for anyone that doesn't know you, God, that they will, they will commit to you today, God. I pray these things in your perfect and holy name. Amen. Let's pray.